the rich young ruler. And behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The word of the Lord. Well, many of you know me as a pastor, but I've lived a varied number of lives uh, in my past. I once was in business, in business development, and I actually was involved with a ministry called Young Life. If you know Young Life, raise your hand. Very interesting ministry. It reaches out to young folks, high school, junior high, particularly folks who aren't interested in church. And we do that through a variety of ways. One of them is humor. And so we have these wonderful camps, and um, we would go ahead, and I was one of the program directors of this camp. So I want to show you what I used to do for a living. <laughs> oh, I'm the handsome-looking guy on the right, also known as Dino Boy. I played a variety of characters, Mini Marshmallow Boy, uh, uh, the Spaniard, the G.I. Carlos, a host of different things with the goal of reaching out to high school kids. Now, you know how when you wake up, you know, sometimes you have a dream, and you have this dream when you're back in high school, and you're on the school bus, and you're naked, you know, does anyone have that dream, or is it just me? Okay, I have, a, I have a nightmare that I wake up, and I'm in a dinosaur suit, and I'm preaching to a congregation, okay? It's a little bit scary. Um, I've let you into my past, and probably will never look at you the same way again. But that leads me to a game that we used to play in Young Life, and it's called Bigger and Better. Okay, we'd have a Young Life club, a bunch of high school kids will go in someone's house, and here's what we would do. We'd break them up into groups of like five or six, and we'd give each of them a penny. And we'd send them out into the neighborhood, and we would say, go find something bigger and better. So they would start walking around, and they would go to the next door, and they would say, hey, I've got a penny. What will you trade me for something that's bigger and better? And so they'd rummage through their garage, they'd find something, you know, maybe a old tennis racket or chair or whatever, and so they'd have something bigger and possibly better, but then they'd move on to the next house. Hey, I've got this chair. What will you give me that's bigger and better than this? And they look at the chair, they look at their garage or whatever they're trying to get rid of and so on and so on, and it would escalate and escalate until within an hour you had to come back and there was a competition to see who had that which was bigger and better. Here are some of the things that have come back in a variety of Young Life clubs. A washing machine, a piano, a hearse. That's pretty nice, driving up in a hearse. You know? Look at this, beat this. My 
saucer. <laughs> they pulled a bunch of kids driving around trying to find it, and the kids said to them, hey, could you come back to our club and represent our bigger and better? So the police guy comes on. Now that, my friends, is bigger. I don't know about necessarily better. We'll see what happened after the club. You know, bigger and better, it's a kid's game. But truth be told, we play it too, don't we? We're playing this game called bigger and better. In fact, it's a game that the entire country seems to be playing, isn't it? We're looking for that which is bigger and better. I apologize while I'm looking this up. We go around, think about it. What are the things that we're told? The greatest thing we can have is more possessions, and so we continue to try to trade up. Maybe it's a title, and so we work and we work and we scheme and we sacrifice, hoping to get that corner office at some point. Maybe it's a different society, it's a different group of friends that I really want to be a part of. And so we continue to play the game called Bigger and Better. See, the hardest thing to have in this life is not the possessions. The hardest thing to have in this life is contentment. And the question for many of us is, will we ever get there? This guy here, this rich guy, is almost a microcosm of us. You know, life may have changed and times may have changed, but people haven't. Human condition is still the same. And so this man and the way he reacts with Jesus, the way he comes up to him, is a picture of how we approach him. See, the way Jesus meets this man is the way that he meets us. He comes and he says that he is the truth. He is the promise of true living. And yet this man, after hearing this, goes away sad. What do you do when you are confronted with life? Because at some time or another, we all will be. See, you're even here today, aren't you? Because you wonder, is there something about this person, Jesus Christ? Is there something bigger and better? Whether you are at the beginning of your journey, or maybe you've made it to the top. See, the most difficult decisions in our life are those that are the greatest opportunities. The rich man had it in front of him, and he passed. What will we do? Jesus shows one central truth, that true life can only be found in one who is life. Jesus Christ. But you can only have his life after you've traded in your own. This passage is about three specific things, three truths that we can take away. Number one, you will never be satisfied with just your life. You'll never be satisfied, I guarantee you, with just your life. Number two, you will never enter life through the merits of your life. And then finally, number three, Jesus is more than able to rescue you from the prison of your life and bring you into the freedom of this. Again, you'll never be satisfied with just your life. You'll never enter through your own merits. Jesus can free you to do so. Let's break these things down in the next 40, 50 hours. Number one, you will never be satisfied with just your life. Notice how this rich ruler approaches Jesus. Verse 16, and behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Well, we learn a little bit about this guy. First of all, we know who he is, at least a little bit about him. Number one, he's young. The language in the Greek here shows that he's somewhere between 20 and 40 years. So he's still, if you will, in the prime of his youth. Number two, he's rich. Verse 22, he has great 
possessions. He's a man of wealth. You know, back then they didn't have stocks, they had flocks. So he has great possessions. His herds, his goods, his riches. He's a man of standing with his money. And he's also powerful. In fact, in Luke and Mark, which have a similar uh, account of this in the other Gospels, they say that he is a ruler. The word in Greek, archon. And we know he's a ruler, he's in power, but he's also Jewish because of how he keeps the law. And so he is a Jewish ruler. Now, most Jewish rulers, they refer to as Pharisees or Sadducees, but he's a ruler. And as we see in other places in the Bible, we can determine that he is a ruler of Pharisees. He is a lay synagogue leader. So he's powerful. He's religious. He's righteous. He's a good man. And he's exceptional. At even such a young age, he has risen to the top of his field in his career. So we ask the question, why does he come? Verse 16, a man came up to him, and he fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man is on the top of his game. We see that he runs. Now, I don't know about you, but rulers don't run. Guys who have it together, particularly in this culture, the lesser runs to the greater. But he doesn't just run, he runs and he falls on his knees in front of this person, this great ruler, the synagogue ruler, with this one who's already being disdained by the Pharisees. This ruler of Pharisees come and kneels before this itinerant teacher called Jesus. Why does he do it? Hear his voice. Teacher, what good thing must I do? Good teacher. He's desperate. He's acting like a desperate man, and the reason is because he's empty. What does he want? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not saying eternal living, is he? Eternal living. No, he's eternal life. The life that I'm looking for. What good thing must I do to get this life? In fact, Jesus says in verse 17, if you would enter life, and he goes further to describe this life as being perfect. So he's saying, what good thing must I do to be perfect, to be worthy, to receive the life that God can give that I hope is out there? What must I be worthy to inherit? Not to earn, not to merit. In other words, it's something that's given, an inheritance that's bestowed but only to the one who is properly uh, ready to receive it and qualified. He wants life. Why? Because it's not enough, is it? I mean, look at this guy. He has everything. Everything we possibly could want. You know, extrapolate it. Look at our culture. The person that we <laughs> admire. The person that we want to be. The beautiful woman. The powerful man, he has it all. And yet he's empty. You know, it's interesting. You can be empty when you're at the bottom of the pile, can't you? And you look up, wow, if I had that, and that, and that, then I truly would have made it. But this guy is different. He's at the top. He's gotten to the top, and yet when he looks around, he realizes that it's just a pile of sand. And so, in his last hope, he runs Jesus and he kneels. You know, why does he run to Jesus? I think the reason is there's nowhere else left to run. 
He's run to everything. And now, in desperation, he runs to this good teacher. What must I do? Maybe he saw something in the life of Jesus that was different than everything else. The way he spoke. The way he talked to God like he was his father. The way he was able to make the blind man see. The compassion he had for the outcast. And he thought to himself, maybe, just maybe. You know, I applaud this man's courage. Because at the end of the day, this guy was not willing to settle. There's something that happens in life, and some of you as you get older know what I'm talking about, that at some point, you may just give up. I guess it's not there. I'm just going to mark time. This is as high as I'm going to go. Not this man. He was an overachiever in every sense of the word, including desperation. Good teacher, what must I do? You know, what if you could have everything you thought you wanted? Just for a second, I'm going to snap my fingers. Just for a day. Everything you hoped of and dreamed of could be yours. I think of myself in my own life. You know, after young life, uh, I, I uh, left to go into business. You know, in young life, it's a lot of fun. You get to wear a dinosaur suit. But you're not making a lot of money, okay? Not a lot of money for dinosaurs. And so I said to myself, you know what? I've given my time to ministry. It's time to go out there and make a name for myself. And I jumped headlong into business. You know, it's time to make some, some, up some time. Maybe I was a bit of an overachiever as a young guy. I actually wrote out 150 things that I wanted to accomplish in life. And owning an airplane was one of them, by the way. I'm, I've been looking. I haven't been able to find the thing. I, I don't know. I got, I got a uh, Tercel. Wherever it is. Let's move on. Seven years later, after going hard and taking some very, very big risks, I lived in a beautiful neighborhood. I live right next to the city manager, Jim Spore and I, you know, cutting the bushes, hanging out, okay? We had a house that, in the beginning, our kids got lost in because it was so big. I was the CEO of a company. I was a member of the most prestigious country club in Virginia Beach. I had it all, but it wasn't enough. I was so sure when I left Young Life that if I had gotten there, that I would have had what I needed, but it was empty. You know, here's one thing I want, to hear, I want you guys to hear. There's nothing wrong with those things in themselves. I have a lot of great friends who are CEOs and who are at the Princess Anne Country Club. There's nothing wrong with them in themselves. The problem was my finish line was the wrong one. It wasn't that. It was the idol. It was Jim Carrey that said, I think, I hope that everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. So what if you had everything? You're a young woman, and from the beginning, you've watched the Disney videos, the prince who's out there somewhere who's going to sweep you away and take you to a beautiful place, and all will be good. And maybe you got it, and you realized after a while that he's just a human being, and he can't meet all of your needs. Maybe you're disappointed because you've been chasing this thing, and you had it for a second. You ever notice where you get to something and you enjoy it? And then all of a sudden you realize somebody pushed the finish line back even further. What if right now you're living either with hope or disappointment? And so as we look at this rich young ruler, we must look in the mirror. We must look at ourselves. Who am I? What defines me? 
it that I want? Where am I going? And if I get there, will it be enough? You see, my friends, everybody has a God. And every God has a price. But true life can only be found in the one who is Jesus Christ. And you can only have his life after you've traded in your own. This brings me to my second point. If you will never be satisfied with your life, you will never end your life through the merits of your own. Jesus responds very aptly in verse 17. And he said to me, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. Jesus says, why do you ask me? Now often we've heard that to say there's only one who's good, but this is really what Jesus is saying. You're a synagogue ruler. You know the law. Why are you asking me about what is good? Because you already know it. The man says, I'm coming to you. I, yes, I know it, but I don't know it because it is not satisfying. Jesus responds, the scriptures tell you the way. If you would enter life, keep his commandments. And the man says, which ones? Good answer. And Jesus says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Which ones? And Jesus goes on to cite the second part of the Ten Commandments. If you know the Ten Commandments, really they're split into two pieces. The first five are about God, how we are to love God. And the second five is how we are to love man. And Jesus goes to the second one first. You know, this man says, all these I've kept. <coughs> what do I still lack? Now Jesus in other places in the New Testament shows us what that really means, doesn't he? If you have lust in your heart, it's as if you committed adultery. If you have hatred toward your brother, it's as if you committed murder. This man thinks he has been good and followed the law, but he hasn't even scratched the surface. But Jesus doesn't challenge him, because he knows that's not the issue. See, this man's response should have been, Teacher, you forgot the first five. What about loving the Lord your God, having no other gods, not bowing down to any idol? See, Jesus knows that the issue of his heart is not toward man, but it's toward God. This man wants a teacher who shows him the way, not a Lord who demands his surrender. And we discover as Jesus peels back the layer of his heart that his life and his motivations have all been wrong. He's been building a stairway to heaven. All of the good things he's been doing, the things he has been accumulating, has been with the goal to making it to heaven himself. And yet we see that he cannot be the architect of his own salvation. He hasn't been able to get any higher. He's hit the glass ceiling, so to speak. And so Jesus says to him in response, there's one more thing. If you would be perfect, verse 21, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. If you would be perfect. The word in the Greek, telos, means if you would be complete, when you finish the race, you get to the telos, telemetry, all of the words that deal with the end. If you would finish your journey, and get to the point that you want, then go ahead and sell whatever you possess, and give it to the poor, and come follow me. See, Jesus is saying you've got to let go of this one to get this one. Now, is he saying that the issue 
You must give up all that you have in terms of your possessions. You must sell them to the poor. He's clearly not saying that. Think about Zacchaeus, remember? Come, Zacchaeus, come be in, I'm going to eat at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus starts saying, look, if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to pay him fourfold. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Zacchaeus did not say, I'm going to give everything away. But Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. The issue is not the money, it's the idol. And he's got a grip on his heart. And so this man says, I need this money, but I want this life. And Jesus is saying, you've got to let go. See, we all were designed to give our hearts to something. Every single one of us has a little throne right here. It has something on it. And Jesus is saying that it must be me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He couldn't let go. And in an interesting way, I may have shared this analogy before, catching monkeys in Africa. What they do is they take a glass jar, and it has an unscrewable at the bottom, and they put a piece of fruit in it, and then they close it up. And they just lay these bottles on the forest floor, and along come the monkeys, and they really want the fruit. And so they reach their hand in to the opening of the jar, and they grab the fruit. There's only one problem. Now their hand is too big to come out of the glass jar. Now they really want the fruit, but they can't escape the trap. And so, lo and behold, the hunter comes, and you hear the ringing of the glass as these monkeys scamper, unwilling to let go of that which will ultimately be their demise. See, this man came looking for life, and yet he would not let go of that which he believed was a thing that would set him free. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He couldn't let go. It's interesting how he came, isn't it? He ran, you know, you see this guy sprinting, sliding on his knees. How, with his head looked up, how do you think he left? He got up, his head down, and he slowly walked away. Because he knew what he was walking away from, and yet he couldn't let go. Jesus didn't want his money. He didn't want his performance. He wanted his heart. And in this we see that there's a new definition of what perfection really is. See, perfection is not doing everything right. Perfection is not having it all together. That's called religion. It's not the gospel. You may have walked in here thinking, you know what, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to change my life around, I'm going to start doing things right. I'm going to build my stairway. No, that's not perfection. Perfection is surrendering everything right and wrong. Perfection is realizing that you're not perfect. Far from it. But there is one who is perfect. And if I give all that I have to him, he will take what is wretched and dark and ugly and he will make me beautiful. You don't begin to live until you've lost everything. Perfection is giving the most important thing, my love. And an offering of love is the best gift of all. You know, it's fun to go home because there's always somebody who meets me at the door. And it's not my wife, but she's wonderful. It's my dog, Sadie. My dog, Sadie, meets me at the door. She cannot wait. She's running around. She's so excited. Jeez. You know, if I could write a book, you know, what I learned about life from my dog, Sadie, it would be a, a treatise. It would be a bestseller. 
Katie does something very, I say did something very interesting. Very often, she comes up to me and she has something in her mouth. I'm like, what's going on here, you know? She kind of comes up to me, has something in her mouth, and she just kind of stands there. I finally realize what it is she's doing. She's giving me a gift. She's brought me something, you know, kind of, hey, I just want to tell you I love you. Now, it's interesting what Sadie brings. Well, I'll get a grimy sock. I'll get a dirty pair of underwear, perhaps. I'll get all sorts of matter of flotsam and jetsam from Sadie. And then every now and then I'll get one of her toys. See, the point is not what she's bringing, is it? The point is that she's bringing her heart. Sadie doesn't really own anything. No Sadie 401k, is there? Sadie says, I may not have a lot, but all that I have is yours. See, it doesn't matter what you give Christ as long as it's everything. So we must come to Christ. See, the beauty of this is you don't have to have it all together to be perfect. In fact, you have to be falling apart. Because only people who realize they don't have it all together can come to the feet of Jesus and say, I may not have a lot, but it's all I got. So look at your life. Maybe you're the grimy sock. You know, you have a messed up life. People knew what happened, you know. Knew about the divorce, the abortion, the time I cheated my business partner, the time I walked away. If God knew all of those things, He certainly wouldn't take me. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter what you give Jesus as long as it's everything. Maybe you're the Lego that Sadie brings. It's insignificant. It's a piece of plastic. It has no value to it. Nothing special. It is special because it's you. All of who you are. Jesus, I may not have everything, but all that I have is yours. Maybe it's your dreams or your achievements or your airplane, or your country club membership. Doesn't matter what it is, as long as it's yours. Jesus, take my mess, I'll give it to you. And Jesus has the ability to give you all that you are not. The love of the Father, His perfection, His grace, so that you may experience life and be perfected in Him. See, life can only be found in the one who is life, Jesus Christ. But you can only have this life after you've traded in your own. This brings me to my final point. You'll never get through on the merits of your life. You'll never be satisfied with your own. But Jesus is more than able to rescue you from the prison of your life and bring you into his. You know, this rich guy walks away, doesn't he? And it's easy for us to go, you blew it. But Jesus says this. How hard it is, how difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now there's no, for some of you biblical scholars, there's no archaeological evidence there was ever a small pass called the eye of the needle. The camel was the largest animal that existed in those times. And the eye of the needle was the smallest opening that existed in those times. In other words, it's, it's so difficult to put a camel through a needle's eye. And the people, the disciples, looked at him and they were astonished. And they said, if not this guy, then who? If not this good, righteous, ruler, rich, then who? 
identify with this real guy? I can. I want what you have, Jesus, and yet my heart is so tied up in this thing, I can't let go. You got to help me. You know, in the United States of America, we are the richest people in the world. The poorest among us live better than most of the world. But it's not just money, it's the riches of our life. It's our relationships, it's our possessions. It's the things we build our life around so that we don't have to trust God with anything. You won't give yourself up. You can't. But there's one who did. Jesus Christ. The one who became one of us. The one who came to earth and said, Father, you already have my heart. Everything that I have, I give to you. My treasure is in heaven, but something is lacking. See, Jesus didn't give his life to God. He gave his life and his heart for us. The pleasure of his Father was to give his own life away, that we might have life. You see, it's Christ who has come and lived the perfect life that we could never live, that we might have the reward that we could never have. Jesus is everything that we're not. Everything that we never could be, but hope that we would be. Jesus has the ability to come in and take our fist and loosen it up. That we may let go of the things of this world and grab onto the things of God. The gospel is not about you having it together. The gospel is not about you making the climb. The gospel is about you falling on your knees Saying, Jesus, I can't even decide for you. Awaken my heart. Draw me out of this prison of life and bring me into your embrace. There was a gal named Chrissy. You probably wouldn't know anything about her. Chrissy was a young gal. She was abandoned by her parents for months at a time where she was left to care for herself as a 13-year-old and her 8-year-old brother. She was abused by men growing up. And as she grew up, she realized there's no life for me. And so she got involved with dancing. She got involved with the adult film industry, as so many young girls are, because she was tired of not having power, of men having power over her. She wanted to have power. But in the end, her life was just broken. And she looked in the mirror and she said, you know what, I'm a grimy son. You ever want me. But there was another girl, and her name was Harmony. Harmony had already been in that life, and yet someone had reached into her life and pulled her out. And she had started a ministry called I Am a Treasure. And so Harmony started showing up at the club and just giving Chrissy little gifts, not really telling her anything, just loving her. Until Chrissy looked at Harmony and said, How did you do this? said, somebody loved me enough to reach into my life and pull me out of the cesspool. And I realized that I could be treasure. See, Christ is our harmony. He's come into the cesspool of our lives. And he has the ability to take that which is ugly and pull it from earth to heaven and call us beautiful. I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know if you're at the top of the pile or you're at the very bottom. I don't know if you've 
achieved everything you ever wanted, or you've lost everything you ever wanted. But you'll never find life in the things you have. You'll never achieve what you want and what you accomplish. True life is found in the one who gives life, Jesus Christ. And you can only have his life after you have traded in your own. So come to Christ with your mess and your hopes and your dreams and say to him, it may not be a lot, but it's all I have. And you know what? It's enough. Because what Christ wants is not your stuff. He wants your heart. That's why he gave us his. Let's pray. Lord, it may not be enough, but it's all we have. Jesus, you came and said it's more than enough. It's all I have. And you gave life to a broken world. You reached into the darkness and you lifted us up out of the mire of the pit. And you set our feet upon a rock. chasing after the trinkets of the world. Help us to stop our hands that are so wrapped so tightly around things that are not worthy of our worship. Jesus, move our hearts by your grace that we might let go of them that we might hold on to you. And let us experience 